Hey everyone, thanks so much for coming back to the podcast. Today I had intended to have the final installment of Sergeant Ron's gay military life stories. However, as I was editing this, I realized that it would be better if I split it up because of the length. And then therefore, there will be a final part 8 coming up in just a few weeks. In today's episode, Sergeant Ron picks right up where he left off in Part 6. So if you have not heard Part 6, please go back and listen to that first as we are in the middle of one of his stories, and I want you to enjoy that story to its fullest. And we will get into that story in just 60 seconds. Looking for that special stocking stuffer? Well, AdamMail.com has a great inventory of smaller items that will get you off the naughty list. The keywords in that sentence are get you off and naughty. And as a listener of this show, AdamMail.com is pleased to offer you a very special deal. You can get 50% off almost any one item and that includes free U.S. shipping right to your door. Go to adammail.com, select your item, and use the discount code of AOGGS at checkout to get your special savings. This Christmas, adammail.com has got you covered. This podcast is a proud member of the Pride 48 Podcasting Network. Check out more great shows at pride48.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, we pick up right as Sergeant Ron's stick shift driving lesson from his no-nonsense supervisor sends them through some trees and bushes and out into a sunny clearing. Now, this lake or swimming hole, whatever you want to call it, was located like in a valley, and it was surrounded by this real thick, thick forest all over. So normally, I guess, you wouldn't really see it from a distance or anything. Now, if you looked on, there was a road that led up to it. It was at a distance and everything, so they could see somebody coming, and I guess they could throw their, their clothes on and go running into the forest there. Or the cops could throw their uniforms on and get into their vehicles and say, well, we're just doing our job. That's what we're supposed to do is patrol. You have to understand something. We appeared from the opposite way. I mean, it was almost as though we were coming from the sky, this great big three-axle vehicle coming out of nowhere. I mean, no warning, no nothing. It was like the hand of God is coming down from the sky or something like that. And one of the things that happened was that, uh, okay, there was a wooden tower there, very nicely built. And I would say it was roughly at least one story high. And what it had, it had a great big thick rope. It was like a, a swing rope. 
you know, you'd grab it and then you would swing out as far as you could go and then you let go of the rope and then kerplunk into the water he went. Well, there was one guy, he had just swung out and at the very moment we came over, he had just let go of the rope. And I swear to you, Joey, I swear, I know I can't prove it, that all of a sudden he just froze in midair. The rope did not swing back, you know, for at least maybe two or three seconds. I mean, he, uh, he, here's this naked guy looking at us with complete terror, I guess, in his eyes. And, and then I heard somebody cough or something, and he suddenly went straight down, and he didn't come back up. And I found out later on what he did is he just kept swimming until he went to a part of the lake there that he, you know, he was trying to hide and everything. And everybody else just froze. You have to realize that, you know, they, it was, like I said, it was like the hand of God coming down from the sky. They just froze what they were doing. Just nobody moved or anything. Now, like I said, we're looking straight down and everything. And I, my first reaction was, wow, what a friendly place this is. Every, we get to go skinny dipping. But my head slowly turned toward the supervisor who was in the driver's seat. And he's looking straight ahead. He's showing no motion. He was just sort of giving that look that I'd seen in basic training. You know, when you did something incredibly stupid in front of the drill instructor and you're, you know, you wish he, you're going to die there or something. Well, he was just looking straight ahead, this really horrible x-ray type vision or anything. And I'm going, oops, I don't think we were supposed to see this. Now, like I said, we were looking straight down into the, the water and everything. To me, it was like we are like off almost about one good shove when we were going to go over the cliff or something. And I was thinking, oh, the whole truck, you go right into the water and we'd disappear. And I wonder if these guys would come and rescue us. Well, later on, uh, they told me, no way. If the whole truck went down there and the evidence was, you know, was buried and everything, that's where it's going to stay, guy. <laughs> anyway, much to my horror, and I do mean I was horrified, that he put, the supervisor put the truck in reverse, and he actually was able to go back up and everything. And suddenly, uh, you know, the, tr the front of the truck went up, straight up, and I'm on my back again. And we started going down the hill, and I, to this day, I still don't know how he did it. He managed to turn around and go down the hill and everything. Now, we had been gone out riding and everything for about an hour or so. I was totally lost. I had no reference point. There was no trail, no nothing. I had just seen a bunch of naked guys. I saw a guy freeze in midair. You know, I'm trying to all gather it up in my head and like, what did I just see? And he just kept driving and driving. And then after about half an hour, we finally made it back to Duke Field. He just parks it right there in, in one of the parking spots and everything. And then he starts signing the paperwork. 
that I had given to him earlier, and he just threw it at me. That's all he did. He threw it right at me. He starts walking away, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do next? I don't know what to do, and I start running after him. Now, the guy that ran the motor pools, you know, saw us come back, and he started chasing after me. He started screaming, you know, airman, airman, you have to wash this truck. What have you guys been doing with it? It's covered with mud and everything. You know, and I'm busy saying, I have to keep up with this guy. You won't believe what I saw. I saw a guy freezing in air, and I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm really confused, you know, and everything like this. And he just starts yelling at me, and he finally tells me, well, you can't leave here. You have to take that truck and go wash it. Now, fortunately for me, they had a special washing rack where you could just drive up and you took like a fire hose and you could squirt it down and everything and then drive it back and everything that was real handy but then i had gotten all wet and everything and then when i was done with that i took off running back to the shop and everything and he's the supervisor sitting at his desk he's not saying a thing to me he's not looking up he doesn't do anything so I walked up to him, and I think I might have asked him what I, what I was supposed to do next. He doesn't look up. He doesn't say anything, nothing. He's just, like, completely ignoring me. And I think I said it to him two or three times and no reply. I didn't know what to do. So I went over, I sat down, and then eventually it was lunchtime. The rest of the guys came back, all wearing their clothes, I might add. And as they came, well, most of them wouldn't look at me. A few, you know, gave me that look like drop dead and eat shit or something, you know. <laughs> I look, I mean, nobody said a word to me, and they all sat down and did their business as far as lunch went. You know, some of them went off to play some cards or something, blackjack usually, and uh, some of them had brought their uh, sack lunches and all that, and nobody said a word to me. It was the strangest thing, you know, and it was like, what am I supposed to do next? And I just sat there, and then eventually after lunch, they all left. I didn't know what to do. I, I just sort of, you know, I, I didn't want to follow them because I didn't want to go back to that swimming hole or anything like this. I mean, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Nobody said, you know, supervisor didn't say a word to them or to me or nothing, just kept riding there. And then eventually, I remember, I well, I still had my checklist for checking in at the base and everything. It took an average of about two weeks to do all your in-processing and everything. And I remember walking up to him and saying, well, I'm going to have to do the rest of my processing in at, at the main base and everything. He didn't say a word. He didn't look up, nothing. And it was like, well, I came a little spooked then because I thought, well, he could go say, well, I just went AWOL or something and it would be my word against his or something. I mean, I became a little paranoid. Well, this was the uh, fun part for the next two weeks. Nobody said a word to me, not the supervisor, not my comrades, nothing. I mean, it's just like I wasn't there and everything. And if it wasn't for the checklist, I probably wouldn't have had anything to do. Now, after about a, two weeks, yeah, some of them started grunting at me when they wanted me to do something or, you know, say friendly things like, why are you here? Why are you breathing air? You're not supposed to be here. You know, all kinds of things to me. 
And then eventually, as time went on, you know, eventually they got, I guess, used to me or something. You know, it was it was quite amusing. Well, then eventually I learned, okay, first of all, the supervisor didn't want to be bothered. So if you could take care of it yourself, any problems, you did it on your own. Otherwise, you know, you just tell him what you needed. And then he assigned everything in the morning and then you, everybody left, you know. And then as long as you kept him out of trouble, he was happy and everything. Well, he did make an announcement that he was going to check on us from now on, you know. But that only lasted maybe two or three days. And then he went back to his regular routine where he would just give the assignment and he'd just sit behind his desk there. You would come back around noontime and then you'd let him know whether or not you'd finished the job or not and then and then leave and everything. And the swimming hole, whatever you want to call it, was a secret Boy Scout camp and everything so it was kind of funny and everything uh, nobody was speaking to me because everybody thought including the supervisor that i had done that on purpose you know because i was mad because they didn't take me along with them you know and i said well how can that be i didn't even know where the existence was i had no idea what you did and uh, eventually they found actually they found out was i was pretty handy to be around and everything because like when they did go off to the uh, secret swimming pond whatever you want to call it. I was usually at the place where we were supposed to be at, maybe inside the hangar. We had our own like campground or something, and then which had a phone, which was real strange. I mean, came out of the forest and there was a telephone line. And when it rang, I would pick it up and they'd want, want he'd want somebody. And I said, well, uh, they went off into the forest. I don't know where they went because they won't talk to me. There, nobody will talk to me. And then when I started talking like that, he would just hang up on me and everything. I, I was sort of giving the cover. And then when I saw them, I said, well, so-and-so was trying to find you or something. But it took a while to get their confidence and their trust and everything else that went on and everything else like this. And I, after that, I never went to that uh, swimming hole. Whenever they offered to take me, I would say, no. <laughs> don't even tell me. I don't want to know anything about it. You know, and they all thought that was pretty funny. And when I first came to Eglin and after I had met Greg and his friends and everything, of course, I was very new to the gay world and everything. And for the most part, Greg and his friends usually gave me pretty good advice. Occasionally, though, they like to tease me, you know, and they would take advantage of the fact that I was naive about certain things, but eventually I did learn. And one of the things they told me about were the best spots, both at Eglin and uh, around the whole area and everything. I guess you could say picking up guys. And uh, to give you a for instance, like on base at Eglin there, there was a huge swimming pool which was usually only open during the summertime. But even after it closed at night, they often left the, uh, the locker room that was next to it open, I guess, uh, so people could use the bathroom there or something. And I was told, well, that was the uh, best places uh, to go, <laughs> I guess you might say. Um, the strange part about it was it was... Uh, Usually, uh, army guys apparently that went there at night, and I guess they, something like from um, Bluxy Blues, you know, that part where they would sneak into the 
latrine there and everything. And I never went, but I remember a few times, you know, Greg would suddenly uh, park near the you know, locker room there and he would just sit there and he, we'd be watching people would be going in and he usually uh, had names for them. You know, he would say, well, that's Miss Swimmer. Everybody was a miss, you know, and, and people that he recognized and everything. And, well, I don't know if there were glory holes in there or what, but apparently it was a pretty busy place after the pool closed. And lots of times they even left it open during the winter time. So that was a, I guess you might say, a favorite meeting spot. And then, well, let me back up. Um, in Florida, you had to have your vehicle checked once a year. It was a, what they called a safety check. And the only problem was is that uh, all the uh, inspection stations were always connected to either a gas station or garage or something. So when you took your vehicle in, you know, they always found something wrong, you know, and you couldn't uh, get your vehicle passed unless you had that item, whatever the problem was, fixed and everything. And it was a big problem and everything. So eventually the base itself... Uh, set up an inspection station right on base, not connected with any garage or anything, so they could be a little more, shall we say, neutral in their opinion about whether or not your vehicle passed or not. So I remember uh, one Saturday I headed onto the base because I had to have my vehicle inspected, and it was a part of the base I had never been to before. I didn't even know it existed. You drove for something like two or three miles, it seemed like. You didn't, it was all flat. There were no buildings, no nothing, just the road. You, and you didn't see anything, which I thought was real, real strange. You know, I even started to wonder if I was on the right road or something. Kept going and going and going. And then eventually you saw the inspection station, but just a, like less than a block away was a group of uh, maybe two or three of those old-fashioned World War II-type uh, wooden barracks and everything. You know, they were kind of clustered together, and they were in very good shape. I mean, they I won't say they looked brand new, but they weren't derelict or anything like this, and they were kind of huddled there together. But what fascinated me was the fact that there was about, ooh, I'd say maybe about, nine or ten tennis courts that surrounded these three buildings. And on top of that, there was like this gigantic chain link fence that surrounded the whole compound there. And then there was what we call the stadium lights, you know, that you might see, you know, point down at the um, tennis courts there and everything. And uh, so I, that caught my eye. And then I drove up to the inspection station there and and they started their you know inspection and everything and i w went to watch the tennis courts there and they had about oh i'd say about roughly 20 guys out there and they were all playing tennis now they were all uh dressed in the regulated tennis court outfit you know back then they used to wear all white you know shorts and t-shirt and everything except what well, a lot of them didn't have their shirts on. They, you know, were bare-chested and everything. 
And what caught my eye was the fact that they were all incredibly healthy looking. You know, they all looked very muscular and they all had really dark, dark tans and which showed off their white shorts and everything that they were wearing. And I have to say, of course, uh, some of them that had their back toward me, oh my God, they had such beautiful butts, you know, that like I said, it was being shown off by these white shorts and everything. And I was watching there for a while, and they all seemed to be having a good time. You know, they seemed real happy and everything. Eventually, uh, a buzzard or a bell went off, and then they just sort of casually, the ones that had their shirts off, just walked up to the fence and picked up their T-shirts and put them on. And then everybody just sort of, casually start walking toward one building. I mean, the way they were walking, a lot of them, you know, was their, the way they swayed their butts back and forth, you know, I was becoming uh, hypnotized almost uh, by the whole sight. I mean, it looked really incredible, you know, but there was no sign, no nothing to indicate what it was. And I think the guy that was doing the inspections had to yell at me two or three times to let me know that my vehicle was ready, that I could leave and everything. Now, what I wanted to explain that just about all military bases, not all, every single one, but most, be it uh, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, whatever, they bases usually have like a, a base say, football team or basketball team or baseball team, you know, this type of thing. And then also, each of the services have their own particular team that represents the whole service. To give you an example, like there's a such thing as, let's say, the Air Force football team or the Air Force baseball team or the Air Force whatever, and usually, though, those are located at Pacific bases, you know, that, that would be called the host for that particular team. And if you had a lot of potential as an athlete, and this is true of the, uh, all the other services, then they would, you would be on the, the team that represented the particular service you belong to. Now, at least with the Air Force, I noticed that like track and field was a very popular team. And then also things like weightlifting and that type of thing was also now. Uh, one time I got to meet the uh, one of the guys that was on the, um, I guess you call it the weightlifting team for the Air Force and everything. But that's another story in itself. Anyway, uh, as it turned out, Eglin was the host team for the Air Force wrestling team. And since I had done wrestling in high school and college and everything, I actually, and since I, at that time I lived in the barracks and the gymnasium was only about a block away, so it was real easy for me to suit up and I went down to the gymnasium there and to try out for the Air Force wrestling team. And the, the minute they found out what, organization I belong to, well, they handed me this paperwork and said, have your commander sign this because we can't have you wrestling here. And I didn't think anything was wrong and everything. So the next day when I was back at Duke Field, 
Um, I went in to see the first sergeant, which is the correct procedure you're supposed to follow when you want to speak to the commander, because you have to speak to the first sergeant before you speak to the commander, and he'll decide whether or not you're worthy to speak to the commander and all that. And, oh, my God, he acted like I had raped his daughter or something. He just started screaming and yelling at me, and he told me to get out, and I was really confused about that. I mean, it was like, what did I do wrong? You know, all I'm asking is to join the Air Force wrestling team or just to try out at least. And then I found out that the, apparently my commander had a very bad reputation. He didn't like his people going out for, uh, you know, sports or anything, and you know, unless it benefited him directly or something. So that was a, a little bit bitter about that. I don't really think I would have gotten that far, but still I would have liked to have tried and everything. So anyway, when I left the inspection station, I went back home where Greg and his friends were, and I said, I did not know that Eglin was the host team for the Air Force tennis team and they looked at me kind of confused like what are you talking about the air force doesn't have a tennis team and i so i went ahead and described what i had seen you know with the guys playing tennis and everything and they all started bursting out laughing and everything and i said well what's so funny and everything and they said ron that's not the air force tennis team he said have you ever heard of Watergate? And I said, well, yeah. And he says, well, some of the Watergate defendants are there. That belongs to the uh, federal um, prison system, you know, correctional system. That's a low-level facility there, and that's all they do all day is just play tennis. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Who says, that? you know, I guess Club Fed or something. I don't know. You know who says crime doesn't? pay and everything so that i always never forgot that you know how they were they were all of them were in such incredible shape and they were having such fun and enjoying themselves and everything be sure to join me for the conclusion to sergeant ron's gay military life in just a couple weeks the best way to make sure you don't miss it is to subscribe to the podcast and then you'll be notified when new episodes drop. New videos on both an Older Gay Guy Show YouTube channel and the Joey After Dark YouTube channel will be coming this week. Meanwhile, I'll be finishing up my Christmas shopping, and I hope you enjoy the holiday season. This is Joey Hernandez. Thank you so much for joining me today. Bye for now, guys.